Hello and welcome to the second episode of Transmissions from Scarif, a Star Wars podcast created to bring you news, reviews, and speculation from all aspects of the galaxy. From comics to cartoons, I'll be giving you everything you need to know about this complex, tied-together universe we call Star Wars. I am your host, Kyle Spawn, and on this month's jam-packed episode, I will be covering the tragic passing of Carrie Fisher and the ramifications of this tragedy on the upcoming films, followed by some Episode 8 The Last Jedi discussion about the newly announced title, and some plot speculation involving Kylo Ren and a connection to Rogue One. Then I'll move over to Star Wars Rebels, where I'll be giving my thoughts on the mid-season 3 trailer, along with the three episodes that were recently released, which were Ghosts of Geonosis, Warhead, and Trials of the Darksaber. Then I'll talk some Han Solo standalone casting announcements, some comic book news, and interesting points from Poe Dameron number 9, Star Wars 26, and Dr. Aphra number 2. For those of you who haven't read these books and don't plan on reading them, there is no need to worry, as I'll make sure to summarize the plot and fill you guys in on what you need to know. Then finally, to wrap up the show, I'll be covering some book news and announcements, including the synopsis of the Thrawn novel that was just released. Now, before I get into what I'm going to be talking about on this episode, I realized that I haven't properly introduced myself to you guys, and I figured that you might want to know a little bit about the person behind the mic. As I said in the intro, my name is Kyle Spawn, I live in South Florida, and along with being an enormous Star Wars fan, I also play baseball for my high school. My love for Star Wars began at a very young age, as my dad is a huge Star Wars fan as well. I grew up watching The Clone Wars, and I really started to become the hardcore fan I am today after the acquisition by Disney and the beginning of the new canon. Something about the continuity throughout the different media platforms really got me excited, and I've been a completionist when it comes to Star Wars ever since, consuming every bit of content I can. My ranking of the films at the moment is Empire Strikes Back at number 1, Revenge of the Sith is 2nd, A New Hope 3rd, The Force Awakens 4th, 5th is Return of the Jedi, 6th Phantom Menace, and coming in last, Attack of the Clones. However, my ranking of the movies changes very frequently, so next week it might be entirely different, but at the moment, this is where the movies are in my opinion. I did omit Rogue One from this list because I think since it's a standalone film, it doesn't deserve to be compared to the episodic films, one reason being just how different Rogue One is in style and tone to the rest of the movies. My favorite book is Lost Stars, which really came out of nowhere and was included in the Journey to the Force Awakens books they released. I'd consider it a must-read. It's pretty much a journey through the original trilogy from the perspective of two great characters, and it really spoke to me, probably because of the fact that I am a teenager and the book was directed towards me, being that it is considered a young adult novel. Speaking of my age, I am only 16 years old, which I think I forgot to mention, so hopefully I can give you guys a unique and fresh perspective on certain things. As far as collecting goes, I wouldn't say I'm super hardcore, but I do purchase the figures that I think are really cool. I primarily collect the Black Series and Funko Pops, but I also have a couple of the 3.75 and Disney Diecast Elite Series as well. I love almost every character in the saga, so in terms of choosing my favorite character, it is a really tough choice. But if I had to pick only one, it would be Han Solo. I love Harrison Ford, and I love the comedy and character he brings to the role. 
It's going to be really strange seeing Alan Ehrenreich in the Han Solo movie playing the character, and hopefully he won't screw up the role that bad. If you couldn't tell, I am not very excited to see a new person in the role of Han Solo, but hopefully Lucasfilm is able to pull it off. I got a bad feeling about this. So anyways, I hope that I can share my passion for this franchise with you guys, and provide my insight about all the different things that we're getting in the years to come. We really are living in one of the best times to be a Star Wars fan, and I'm really grateful that I'm going to be able to be talking to you, the listener, about everything Star Wars and all the great things we have at the moment and in the future. Well, you want the bad news or the really bad news? So back to our regularly scheduled podcasting, Carrie Fisher passed away on December 27th after suffering a heart attack while on a plane. I don't remember who reported it, but I do remember someone saying that she was in stable condition a few days before her death, so I was really shocked to hear that she had passed, considering I thought she was going to be okay. Carrie will not only be remembered for her role as Leia in Star Wars, but also for her genuine personality and humor. She was always extremely open about everything in her life, even the darker parts about her drug addiction and other struggles, and she always seemed very down-to-earth and a great person to have a conversation with. Along with her role as Leia, she was also a highly sought-after script doctor who worked on scripts for a variety of films. Carrie was a major women's rights and mental illness activist, and she used her outspoken personality and platform to raise awareness for many things. She was also the author of several books focusing on her life, the most recent being The Princess Diaries, which is a memoir about her life on the set of Episode 4 and her affair with Harrison Ford. With her abrupt passing, it does bring many questions about Leia's role in the future of the sequel trilogy, Apparently, if rumors are true, she didn't seem to have a very large role in Episode 8, but she was reportedly planning to have a much larger role in Episode 9. It appears that Carrie did shoot all her scenes in Episode 8 already, but the question is, are they going to change these scenes, and how are they going to kill off this major character? According to Lucasfilm, Leia was supposed to have some very important confrontations with her son Kylo Ren and her brother Luke. In an official statement by Lucasfilm, they clarified that they would not be using CGI to portray Leia in the upcoming films, and I think this is for the best, as the scenes I had just mentioned are obviously going to be very emotional and require some really great acting, and the technology to portray these emotions just isn't there yet. The issue of how Lucasfilm is going to create a satisfactory ending to Leia's character is going to be really, really tricky, as they're going to have to rely completely on the other characters' reactions since they have no footage of Leia herself, as far as we know. I really hope that the story group can try to craft a good enough ending to a character so important to the entire story, even though there's only so much they can do. The only thing we can hope for is that Leia's death really means something to the other characters, especially Kylo. Lucasfilm held a meeting with several people involved with the making of the future movies on January 7th to discuss Leia's role in these films, and it seems that it will be one of the biggest problems they faced while making these new movies. We're doomed. 
While we're somewhat on the topic of episode 8, Lucasfilm finally gave us the official title, which is The Last Jedi. I think they waited so long as to avoid any confusion between Rogue One and episode 8 with the general public. I'm kind of mixed in my feelings about it so far, but I feel like it's one of those names that'll grow on me. The first thing I thought about when I heard it was Return of the Jedi, and I think it's a little too similar to me. A lot of people shorten up Return of the Jedi to just simply Jedi, so that might be a little bit of a conflict, but it shouldn't be too big of a deal as time goes on. In terms of what the title could mean, well, the plural of Jedi is Jedi, so it could be referencing Rey, Luke, or both of them, and since we know so little, it's really hard to tell. If I had to take a guess though, I would say it's referencing Luke just because he'll be making his long-awaited real debut in the sequel trilogy, not counting the TFA cameo, and it looks like he's going to play a large part in the film. It might also be worth mentioning that on the teaser poster that features the logo, the logo is in red, not yellow like The Force Awakens. This could possibly be foreshadowing a darker installment in the trilogy, or potentially Luke's death, whatever it may be, Red is usually associated with the dark side, the Sith, and is overall just not a good color if you're the good guys. Usually, the second act is the darkest, and it looks like this trend will continue. This isn't the first time that the color red has been used for Star Wars movies, however, because both Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith featured red logos as well. A couple more things to point out about the title. One, it was brought to the attention of the internet that the episode 8 title does form a sentence when added onto the episode 7 title, and that sentence is, The Force Awakens The Last Jedi. So could this be a coincidence, or is it purposeful? Now, if we think about this sentence, does it really mean Last Jedi, as in extinction? Or will Rey possibly be the last to follow the Jedi path, ushering in a new breed of Force-sensitive that are not Jedi or Sith, but more of a gray middle, such as the Bendu? This is pretty deep speculation and most likely won't end up happening, but hey, it's fun to speculate, and Lucasfilm has been incorporating some more gray characters with the Force, like the older Ahsoka and the Bendu. Another little thing that I just wanted to point out is that The Last Jedi will not be the only blockbuster with The Last as the first two words in its title. The new Transformers movie coming out this summer is called The Last Night, so that should be a nightmare for the Transformers marketing team, especially when you realize that Jedi are also sometimes referred to as Jedi Knights, so The Last Night, The Last Jedi, very, very similar, and definitely an interesting coincidence. Speaking of Episode 8 and the whole sequel trilogy in general, I wanted to bring up a possible connection between Rogue One and the new trilogy, specifically Kylo and Vader. Now, we know Kylo is obsessed with his grandfather, and he craves information about him. And in Rogue One, we see that Vader has an entire castle on Mustafar, so this would definitely seem like a treasure trove to Kylo if he were to find it, which is definitely possible. This could be where Kylo learns a lot more about Vader, and it's certainly a very cool idea. I feel like this type of story will probably be told in a comic or a book if it does get told, 
or it could just simply be mentioned somewhere. Either way, I think it's certainly possible, even probable, that Kylo would locate his idol's castle, and I would really love to see more of the interior and the functions of the castle itself, since we get so little of it in Rogue One. There have been reports that Episode 8 will be very flashback heavy, so there's actually a chance that we might see a scene with the Vader castle and Kylo potentially making it into a movie, and this would probably be my preferred way to see it, just because I think it would look great on film. Nothing will stand in our way. Now, let's move on to the Rebels segment of the show, where there is a lot to talk about. It was a big month for Rebels, with the mid-season 3 trailer release, along with the three episodes we got, so I think I'm going to start by discussing the mid-season trailer, then move on to the episodes we got in January. Okay, so there was a lot in this trailer. We get a look at a lot of new characters, or I should say old characters, and it looks like things are really going to be heating up for the Rebel Alliance in general in these upcoming episodes. I'm going to go through the entire trailer and just point out the things that I found interesting. So, the trailer starts out with the Obi-Wan Jedi Holocron warning, which is from Revenge of the Sith, and is seen in the previous seasons. The message repeats itself in the background of the trailer, and it kind of foreshadows the return of Obi-Wan, which we'll get into in just a little bit. The TIE Defender makes an appearance in the trailer, and this TIE variation was recently brought back into the canon, and it's the one that features the three wings instead of two, and the wings look a little bit like inverted TIE Interceptor wings. To be honest, I don't really like this ship design, and I have no real attachments to it since I haven't played the TIE Fighter game. I believe the third wing and the overall design is meant to create a more defensive TIE, which does make sense since the standard TIE fighters have little to no protection at all, and are built strictly to shoot and fly fast. We also get to see the Death Troopers in this trailer, which was really great. They seem to be protecting Thrawn, which makes perfect sense since Thrawn is a very high-ranking Imperial, just like Krennic. I like that we get to see these guys around more because I really like their design. From what we see in the trailer, I'm not sure if it's just the translation from film to animation, but Thrawn's Death Troopers look a little less specialized than Krennic's, and they don't have all the extra attachments and such. So it could just be that Krennic designed these attachments for his personal squad only. Mon Mothma will also be making her first appearance in Rebels, and it definitely looks like we'll be seeing the formation of the whole Rebel Alliance, and not just the Phoenix Squadron. We get a quick shot of what looks like the entire Rebel fleet, which was really great to see. And it reminded me of the shots we got of the fleet from the Battle of Scarif in Rogue One. And you can definitely tell just how close they are getting to reaching this point. Which is really exciting to me. I think that getting to see the Ghost crew slowly get into the larger fight has been really, really interesting. In Season 1, we see them by themselves fighting just for Lothal. But as their story progresses, they team up with the Phoenix Squadron and eventually the main Rebel Alliance. And I think that's been really cool. We get some more evidence of the building of the Rebel Alliance when Governor Price is talking to Tarkin and she says how a coordinated attack by multiple Rebel cells is unprecedented. Next we see that Thrawn seems ready to make his big move on the Rebels, which is a huge deal as he has been extremely patient so far. You can see just how much more strategic he is than the other Imperials because of this. 
There's a couple scenes from what I believe is the next episode where Sabine will be attempting to reunite the Mandalorian clans with the Darksaber. In one of the shots, we get a look at Sabine's mom, who is wearing some yellow modified Mando armor with some variation on her helmet, and also the bottom of her armor almost looks like a tunic. Now, we know that Sabine's mom holds a high-ranking position in her clan, so it should be interesting to see how the two interact in the next episode. We get a little Thrawn training montage in the trailer, and he is beating up on some Imperial sentry droids. This seems pretty cheesy, but we have no idea the context of it, so I'll withhold my judgment until after we see the entire episode. The next part of the trailer depicts a space battle with the ghost, but it seems to be in this weird red and orange gaseous kind of place in space, which I really actually like because I think the weird space things throughout Star Wars are super cool. I'd also like to note that the red Y-wings we see in another space battle are brand new, and... I did like Thrawn's line about he doesn't want surrender, he wants utter defeat. And then the last 10 seconds of the trailer happen as the message statics into the words surviving Jedi, which was a nice touch. Maul finds old Ben on Tatooine thanks to his force vision with Ezra, and then he ruins Obi-Wan's camping trip. I have no idea what old Ben would be doing outside with a fire in the middle of the night, but I'm sure we'll find out in the episode. But anyways, we are finally getting to another rematch between the two rivals, and something tells me it's going to be the last one. I'm hoping that Obi-Wan can finally finish Maul off, because I think that he should be the one to finally kill him for good. But this time around, he should probably chop him up into tiny pieces just to be sure. Let me just say, the voice of Obi-Wan from the one line we did get so far sounds spot on to Alec Guinness, and he is being voiced by Steven Stanton, who has done a variety of voice acting for Star Wars, the most recent being Admiral Raddus. To finish off the trailer, we see Old Ben ignite his blue saber in the attack stance he used in both Episode 3 and various Clone Wars lightsaber battles, and I really enjoyed this little touch of continuity. It should be really interesting to see how the Rebels producers take on creating Obi-Wan's fighting style and how they bridge the gap between one of the most epic lightsaber duels of the entire saga with Anakin and the slower-paced fencing match in Episode 4. Obi-Wan is definitely going to have to have some skill in order to defeat Maul, but the creators have to take into account that it's two years before he can barely move, so it's necessary to achieve at least a little bit of continuity. Now that we know that Tatooine and Obi-Wan will be on Rebels, it begs the question, will we see a young Luke Skywalker? My answer would be a maybe. Honestly, I can think of reasons he could be and reasons he couldn't. I think it all depends on just what Maul saw in the Force vision, and we don't know anything about what he saw yet. He could be going to Tatooine to kill Kenobi, then take Luke and train him to defeat the Sith, or he could be entirely focused on Obi-Wan and think the key to defeating the Sith is finally killing him. Also, if Luke is in the episode, it must mean something exciting and dangerous is happening, and it would most likely involve both Luke and Ben. In A New Hope, however, Luke is constantly complaining about how lifeless and dull Tatooine is, and has had almost no interaction with Ben prior to the events of A New Hope. 
So in my opinion, it could go either way. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Moving along with the Rebels segment, I'm going to go over some episode reviews starting with Saw's episode, Ghost of Geonosis. In this two-part episode, the Ghost crew goes back to Geonosis to search for Saw and his group of Rebels, who went missing while trying to find out why the Empire gassed the entire planet. The Rebel team eventually finds Saw, who is the lone survivor of his group, who were killed by Click Clack, one of the last Geonosians who survived the extermination and the droids he controls. Teaming up with Saw, they eventually track Click Clack down and discover why the lone Geonosian wanted to kill the intruders. And it's because he has the last Geonosian queen egg. To keep it safe until it hatches, he has maintained a set of droids and has a large shield that he keeps running as well. Sabine and Zeb manage to steal the reactor from this shield, and I believe this may just be the reactor that powers the shield on Hoth in episode 5, as the shields look almost identical. If so, it would be a nice link to the movies, which Rebels has been doing a lot lately. In the end, the Rebels don't get the answers to their questions, but they do get pictures that verify that the Empire did indeed gas the entire planet. Overall, I liked the episode, and I think it provided some good links to many different things, but I was expecting a little bit more from Saw. I do think that Forrest Whitaker did a great job with the voice, and he incorporated a little bit of the accent that Saw has in, is, that Saw has in the Clone Wars, which was a good bridge from Clone Wars to Rogue One. But I think they could have done a little bit more with him in terms of explaining some of his motivations and his desperation. I expected him to be a little bit more extreme and crazy. They did show a little hint of this with Hera's brief interaction with him, and she explains to Kanan why Saw is infamous in the Rebellion, which is of course because of his extreme tactics. There were some parts of the episode that he was just a real jerk, and I think they might have taken that a little bit too far. I did like that he carries the picture of his sister Stila with him, and I think this was a really well done scene. They did flesh out his motivations a little bit throughout the episode, I just think it could have been more in-depth, and we should have seen more conversations with his character. One really cool connection that was made actually has to do with the Darth Vader comic book, and it was pointed out by Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter. The Geonosian Queen from these comic books is actually the one that hatches from that very egg that Click Clack protects on Geonosis. I really, really love this connection, and it just shows you how well the story group plans things out. Another thing that I wanted to point out was that Bail Organa is the person that contacts the Ghost Crew about their mission, so it seems like Saw's Rebel sect is still connected with the larger alliance, and they haven't had their falling out yet. In the Rebels Recon for this episode, the creators explain that it was actually Saw's snooping around and getting so close to finding out about the top secret Death Star that led the Imperials to move the construction over to Scarif, which was some nice backstory. We got to see a new type of Stormtrooper make their debut in this episode, and this was the Rocket Troopers. These guys have modified armor, presumably for breathing at higher altitudes and allowing them to fly better. The helmets reminded me a little bit of the ARC Troopers from the Clone Wars. 
I thought their design was subtle and purposeful, and overall, I really, really like these troopers, and I think they're a nice addition to the Imperial Army. The last thing I wanted to mention about this episode is Sabine's sand comment. I believe she says something like, stupid sand, it gets everywhere, which is, is obviously a little inside joke referencing Anakin in Attack of the Clones, where he expressed his hatreds of sand as well. So at least we know that the two of them have something in common. The next episode was Warhead, which involved Zeb being left with Chopper and AP-5 to watch over the base while the rest of the crew went to train some of the pilots or something like that. The very first shot opens up with a blatantly obvious Episode 5 callback when the Empire is launching out the infiltrator droids and it's almost a direct mirror of the Empire sending out the probe droid in Empire Strikes Back. We also get to see Hobby and Wedge in the beginning of the episode, presumably going to do the training, which was nice. This episode was primarily filler until the end, when we find out that despite Zeb and the droids succeeding in their plans, Thrawn has now narrowed down his search for the base considerably, which does move the story along. This episode has a lot of good comedy in it, which was almost guaranteed when you have Zeb alone with both Chopper and AP-5 together, but it also brings in some pretty scary scenes when they're looking for the infiltrator droid. While they're searching for the droid, they find a droid hand in some kind of fluid, which I think was a nod to Ponda Baba's arm in the Moss Eisley Cantina in Episode 4. And then if the episode wasn't getting dark enough, we get the biggest tragedy of all, the Gonk Droid. Seriously, it had to suck the life out of a harmless Gonk Droid? Terrible. The Infiltrator Droid, like 75% of every other Rebel's design, is taken from one of Ralph McQuarrie's concept painting of C-3PO and R2-D2 on Tatooine. I do like the McQuarrie callbacks, but they rely on them so heavily, and I would like to see them try to incorporate some brand new designs. When the Infiltrator Droid goes into what you could call its attack mode, its head opens up to reveal the red eyes that are very similar to IG-88's, and its limbs extend as well, which I thought was cool. I like the droid design, and I thought it was a clever tactic by the Empire to use them. On the Rebels Recon for the episode, Pablo Hidalgo stated that these droids were sent out by Thrawn to find the specific group of Rebels he's been tracking, and it's definitely a smart tactic. These droids are very advanced and can even repair themselves in battle. Dave Filoni revealed in the very same Rebels Recon that if he knew how close the episode was going to air to Rogue One, he would have designed the droid closer to K2SO, which was a little bit of a missed opportunity to add some more continuity, but overall, as I said previously, I am a fan of the design that we got. So as I said before, this was a filler, so there's not much to talk about, but it was a fun little side story. The final episode I'll be talking about on this show was a side story as well, but a much more superior one, in my opinion. In the Trials of the Darksaber episode, we see Sabine begin her training with the ancient Mandalorian weapon, the Darksaber, which first made its appearance in the Clone Wars. In the episode, we get some nice backstory about the origins of the Saber, and it's revealed that the Saber is one of a kind, created by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian Jedi. After he died, the Jedi kept the Saber in their temple until members of House Vizsla, a Mandalorian clan, retrieved it. They used the Saber to unify the people, and the ruler of Mandalore wielded the blade, giving it the reputation that we see in Rebels. 
After retrieving the Darksaber from Maul's hideout on Dathomir, Sabine is finally convinced by Fenrau and Kanan to begin training to use it to unite Mandalore and lead them in a fight against the Empire. This episode is very secluded, and the majority of the episode is just Kanan, Ezra, and Sabine, with the occasional appearance of Fenrau. Trials of the Darksaber does an amazing job of revealing some very interesting backstory about Sabine, and it does so in a very short amount of time. At the very end of the episode, Sabine releases all of her emotions while training with Kanan in a way that we've never really seen from her before. She's usually very reserved and sarcastic, but in this moment she really breaks down and lets out all the issues she has with her family and her entire society. We find out that she built weapons for the Empire, which they then used against her people, and she tried to take action and resist the Empire, but in the end her family wouldn't take a stand with her, so she was forced to leave. This tragic backstory really adds a lot of weight and depth to her character, and it's really great that we're getting more of Sabine. Fenrau also gives her some upgrades to her armor, and I thought these were really interesting. These wrist gauntlets were used by the Mandalorians when they fought against the Jedi, and they are meant to level out the playing field, which makes a lot of sense, considering the Mandalorians wouldn't stand a chance against the Jedi and their force powers. It's also kind of hinted at that Sabine may have some type of connection to the Force. Kanan tells Hera that the Force is present in every living thing, which is not the first time we've heard something like this, and Sabine does say at one point that the Darksaber is feeling lighter to her, and Kanan says that this is because she's, quote, connecting with it. She also makes a really big jump towards the end of the, her emotional scene with Kanan, and it certainly seemed like she may have been tapping into the Force in some way, whether she knew it or not. We also get a really strange cameo by the Bendu in this episode, and it almost seems like he was monitoring Sabine's training. The Convries, which are these strange birds that were shown near Ahsoka and may have a crazy connection to the Force if recent rumors are true, can also be seen overlooking the training grounds. Now, I don't think that we're ever going to see Sabine go full-fledged Force-sensitive, but she could be similar to like a Maz Kanata who has a slight connection with the Force that allows her to wield the Darksaber. Kanan really pushes Sabine to the limit in this episode, and he adopts a completely different training style than the one he used to teach Ezra. He's almost like a boxing coach, mocking her and taunting her to get her to unleash her energy, which doesn't exactly seem like a common Jedi move. I think that this shows that he has high expectations for her, and he knows that she has a lot of potential. Even though he may be hard on her sometimes, I see their relationship as a kind of father-daughter type. Kanan also talks a little bit about lightsabers. He says that these sabers are attracted to one another, which is definitely very interesting. Also, it was really cool to see inside Sabine's room in the episode, and we see that the art above her bed is similar to the design on her helmet. She also has a cartoon mural of the entire ghost crew, which I thought was a nice touch. All in all, this was a great episode, and Sabine's raw emotion in the climax was extremely powerful. The voice acting by Tia Sakar, who plays Sabine, was fantastic, and I think it's her best performance of the entire series. 
We got some casting news about the Han Solo standalone this month, and Woody Harrelson has officially joined the cast, adding to the list of Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, and Amelia Clark, whose character has not been named yet. Woody himself has confirmed that he will be playing the role of Han's mentor. When asked by Variety this question, he replied with a simple, yeah, I am. This begs the question, will he be playing the person who kind of raised Han in the Expanded Universe, which was a guy named Garrus Strike? And this guy, for those of you not familiar with him, he collected a group of orphans who he used to assist him in thefts and tricks, and he pretty much picked Han up off the street and raised him, and he also trained him to become the man we see in A New Hope. Now, this may not be exactly who we see played by Woody Harrelson, he probably won't even have the same name, but I'm sure that Lucasfilm may be taking some ideas from that character. I'm assuming that Harrelson will be playing the sleazebag, bad influence mentor role, similar to his character Hamish in The Hunger Games. I'm guessing that he was cast off of this performance, but maybe he's someone who tries to raise Han right and teach him honor after he gets in too deep, and maybe his character dies and then we see Han revert to his old ways, as we do in The Force Awakens. Speaking of The Force Awakens, I would have loved to see Maz Kanata fill the mentor role in this movie, since we know that she was a mentor to Solo, we just have no idea when, just that it was a long time ago. The fact that Woody was cast as the mentor doesn't necessarily mean we won't see Maz make an appearance, but it means she almost certainly won't play a big role. I think this might be kind of a missed opportunity, as it would be a pretty nice way to tie some different things together and draw a nice connection between the different time periods. At the end of the day, I do think Woody Harrelson will do a good job in the role, as he has had a lot of experience playing these types of characters. Now let's talk some comics. This segment should be relatively short this month, as there's only a couple noteworthy things that happened in the comic world this month, and I'm going to try to give you guys only the things that I find really interesting, or that you really need to know. We did get a very, very exciting cover that was released this month, and that is for Darth Maul number 3. The Maul comic book is coming very soon, and should be hitting shelves February 1st. This is probably the most excited I have ever been for a comic for a lot of reasons. This is the first content that we'll be getting that occurs before The Phantom Menace, and we really haven't seen a lot of content being released from this era. It should definitely push the boundaries of the timeline. Now, as I said, StarWars.com did reveal the cover for the third issue in the series, and it included a couple of very familiar bounty hunters. One of these being Aura Singh, who has a very small appearance in The Phantom Menace and is later expanded upon in The Clone Wars. We could possibly get some backstory as to why she was at the Boonta Eve pod race on Tatooine. I'm not sure exactly how close the comic is to episode 1. And then my second favorite bounty hunter, only to Boba Fett, Cad Bane, making his first appearance outside of the Clone Wars. And he was one of my favorite characters from the Clone Wars series. Everything about this comic book is so compelling to me, and I can't wait to get back to this era with these amazing characters. On this comic cover, it also depicts Maul with what definitely looks like a different saber than the one we see him use in episode 1. 
This can mean that he loses it somehow, or possibly it breaks like in The Phantom Menace. Whatever the case is, it's sure to be very interesting. And another thing that should be great to see in this comic is hopefully a little bit of Maul's training. We get so little throughout the canon about how the Sith train, and we only really see a little bit of Savage Opress getting trained by Dooku in the Clone Wars, which barely counts. So that should be very compelling as well. Heading over to some noteworthy things from the comics, Poe Dameron number 9 gives us some background information about the partnership between Kanja Club and the Guavian Death Gang, which we see in Episode 7. In the issue, Poe Dameron and C-3PO enter a cantina slash bar area, and both of the gangs happen to be there as well. Coincidentally, Kanja Club overhears C-3PO talking about how Solo borrowed money from the Guavian Death Gang, and so... They end up approaching the Guavians and striking a partnership to find him. In Star Wars 26, we get another one of the stories from the Journal of Ben Kenobi. If you don't follow the comics, Luke found this journal after returning to Ben's house on Tatooine to find answers. Ben kept this journal to document stories and lessons from his time as a Jedi, most likely to share with Luke. This journal serves as some of his Jedi training, I guess you could say, between episode 4 and 5. So anyway, the entry he reads is about Yoda, but Yoda's name is not directly mentioned as to keep continuity with episode 5. The event takes place before Phantom Menace, and it involved a youngling who was strong in the Force. This child was taken by pirates after he was seen moving things with his mind, and he was held as ransom until the Jedi came and paid to take him. So long story short, Yoda enters this big chamber where the child is being held, and the big horde of pirates underestimates him and takes him as a joke. Yoda says he won't pay them, and he makes them all beat each other up using the Force. This teaches both the youngling and the pirates a lesson, don't judge a book by its cover. Which we also got a little bit of in Episode 5 with Luke. Now, Obi-Wan comes into play because him and Qui-Gon are assigned to pick up the youngling and bring him back to Coruscant, so this is how Obi-Wan is able to tell the story. Yoda calls them up because he senses a disturbance in the Force and he wants to check it out, and this is where it gets weird. The Force leads him to a planet that's not on any maps, surrounded by an asteroid belt that is extremely dense and almost impossible to navigate without the Force. When he lands on the planet, it's lifeless except for a bunch of children. As to who these children are or how they got to the planet, I have no idea, but I'm assuming that they are strong in the Force. The Force was obviously calling Yoda for some reason, so I guess we'll figure out what that reason is in the next issue. In Dr. Aphra number 2, Aphra, the rogue archaeologist who worked for Vader, and her father are on their way to try to find the Ordu Aspectu, which is some weird force thing that, if found, can, quote, awaken the force for all, or some strange thing like that. But the important part is where Aphra's father believes that this Ordu Aspectu is located, which is Yavin 4. It seems that we may have an explanation to the ancient temples the rebels occupied as a base, and maybe even a deeper connection with the Force, which is definitely very cool to see, and hopefully I'll have more to report on it when I read the next issue. This is our chance to make a real difference.
On to the very last segment of the show, we got some really, really interesting book news recently. There's going to be two books released on May 2nd that will reveal some character backstory in Rogue One. One of them is Rebel Rising by Beth Revis, which will detail Jin being raised by Saw and fighting to stay alive after she is betrayed by him. The second is called Guardians of the Wills by Greg Rucka, who also wrote a couple of the Journey to the Force Awakens books as well, including Smuggler's Run and Before the Awakening. It looks like Guardians of the Wills will provide more backstory about both the Temple of the Wills and Shirin and Baze, who were the Guardians of the Wills, which is where the book gets its name. I'm certainly looking forward to both of these, although they seem to be targeted towards a younger audience, especially Guardians of the Wills. However, I did read the smaller books Rucka wrote for the journey to The Force Awakens, which appear to be similar in age range and style, and these books were still fun reads, although very short. The last bit of book news I have is the synopsis for the Thrawn novel written by Zahn himself, which will debut early April. I'm just going to read you guys the complete synopsis, then give my two cents. One of the most cunning and ruthless warriors in the history of the Galactic Empire, Grand Admiral Thrawn is also one of the most captivating characters in the Star Wars universe. From his introduction in best-selling author Timothy Zahn's classic Heir to the Empire, through his continuing adventures in Dark Force Rising, The Last Command, and beyond. But Thrawn's origin and the story of his rise in the Imperial ranks have remained mysterious. Now, in Star Wars Thrawn, Timothy Zahn chronicles the fateful events that launched the blue-skinned, red-eyed master of military strategy and lethal warfare into the highest realms of power and infamy. After Thrawn is rescued from exile by Imperial soldiers, his deadly ingenuity and keen tactical abilities swiftly capture the attention of Emperor Palpatine. And just as quickly, Thrawn proves to be as indispensable to the Empire as he is ambitious, as devoted as its most loyal servant, Darth Vader. And a brilliant warrior never to be underestimated. On missions to root smugglers, snare spies, and defeat pirates, he triumphs time and again, even as his renegade methods infuriate superiors while inspiring even greater admiration from the Empire. As one promotion follows another in his rapid ascension to greater power, he schools his trusted aide, Ensign Ali Vanto, in the arts of combat and leadership, and the secrets to claiming victory. But even though Thrawn dominates the battlefield, he has much to learn in the arena of politics, where ruthless administrator Arinda Price holds the power to be a potential ally or a brutal enemy. All these lessons will be put to the ultimate test when Thrawn rises to Admiral and must pit all the knowledge, instincts, and battle forces at his command against an insurgent uprising that threatens not only innocent lives, but also the Empire's grip on the galaxy and his own carefully laid plans for future ascendancy. So that is a lot to take in. It seems the story will take place close to Rebels and won't go deeper into his past in the Unknown Regions like the Expanded Universe did. The synopsis also name-drops Arinda Price, who is Governor Price on Star Wars Rebels, and it seems that Price will become a potent ally, not enemy, that was referenced in the synopsis. We see the two working closely with each other on the show, so this is some pretty good evidence to the former. The insurgent uprising that is referenced in the synopsis may be the Ghost Crew and Phoenix Squadron, 
And I found the last line about how they might threaten his laid out plans for the future very intriguing. Hopefully we'll get to know what these plans are and get a better canonical look at his motivations. The novel sounds amazing and I can't wait for April to dig into a new Thrawn novel and the fact that Timothy Zahn is the one writing it is just icing on the cake. And that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I have a few announcements before I wrap it up. One, if you would like to write into the show with any questions slash comments, the email is transmissionsfromscarifpod at gmail.com, not transmissionsfromscarif, which I think I said on last month's episode. You can also follow the podcast on social media. We are on Instagram at Transmissions from Scarif Pod as well. And I would be extremely appreciative if you guys wrote a super quick five-star review because this will really help grow the podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has reviewed already. And to give a little incentive to review, I'm going to be giving away the Rogue One IMAX poster that was handed out to only to those who attended the opening night premiere of the movie. And the way this is going to work is that once I hit 25 reviews, I'm going to randomly select one of these reviewers, and I will announce their name on the show, and then the lucky winner can contact the podcast at transmissionsfromscarifpod at gmail.com, and then they can give me their shipping information so I can get the poster out to them right away. So, once again, thank you guys for your time, and may the force be with you. This party's hot.